Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 416 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Jordan Morris of Mr. Morris about the design and development of their action-adventure game, Haiku the Robot. Now, I encountered this game, yes, second week in a row. There you go, you know what I'm going with. Yes, at PAX West. At the PAX, is it West or is it East? Oh my God, I'm getting confused. No, no, I think it was West. Yeah, it definitely was West because we talk about it in the show. Um, because, yeah, it's a really lovely action-adventure game. Again, low palettes. And I say again, you haven't listened to that show yet because I haven't edited it. But that's about a game show podcast thing that I'll be talking about in a few weeks, maybe months. <gasps> Previews. But I can't talk about it now. You'll hear it. It's fine. It's great. It's fascinating. But... Let's talk about the present, shall we? 416, here we are. It is a Metroidvania game, but it has a lot of dexterity requirements, a lot of platforming, timing, that kind of thing. It is not an easy game. That's not a bad thing. You know, rewarded for one's perseverance and, uh, you know, just getting better or get good, I believe, as the young people say. At least they used to about 10 years ago. But nonetheless, once you overcome that and you upgrade yourself and you get better weapons and, and abilities that you can as you bolt onto a little robot and find out more and more more, more and more <laughs> more and more about what happened in the world the haiku the robot finds himself in or himself themself who knows it's a robot kind of agenda but um yeah it's i really enjoyed this game i was sort of really drawn to it at pax west and then continued to play it uh, or my Steam Deck and other other places, and yeah, thoroughly it's it's available on a lot of things. I think I do know it's on the Switch as well, but I played it on the PC. I'm babbling again, aren't I? Yes, yes, I am. Do you want me to? Okay, hand over to Past Chris as I normally. Fine, just so impatient, aren't you? Okay, Chris, deal with these people. Jordan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Please tell us who you are. What do you do? 
Right, so my name's Jordan. Um, I'm the solo creator of Haiku to Robot, which is a 2D Metroidvania that just recently released on Steam and the Nintendo Switch. It has indeed. What a game, everyone. So much animation. Anyway, we delve into <laughs> that. We're going to ask you, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Um... How did I start with haiku? You, you, no, you, no, just or, or generally. Just the, in the, general. The, okay. Yes, the act of being the, the a video game developer that you are now. How so did it start? Prior to this, I actually had like no experience with coding or game development or anything like that. Um, I was actually a marketer in a big corporate company. And to be honest, just I just had a really bad day at work. I just went home and then Googled how to make a game. And that's literally how it started. Wow. So Haiku's <laughs> not my first game, but right. I've made, you know, like a few smaller projects. Like, because at the start, I just made like really, really bad games, but it was fun. And I really just did it because it was fun. And um, it was like a new hobby. And the thing that I found out was, because I've had a lot of hobbies, as many people have, um, and I find them really hard to stick to. But this one, for some reason, was just sticking. So I just kept going and going and going. What is it you think? That, no, no, that's a, that's a very high-level question. What is it that the key aspect of the, that, that draws you to it, that make, keeps you coming back, that keeps chipping away at something that is not easy? The creation of video games is not easy. But like you say, there's still there's some aspect to it that keeps you... I know I have a particular relationship with it, but what what is it the thing that you find yourself drawn drawn to? I I think for me it's the sense of reward that you get from it. So like you could literally go from the morning you start having absolutely nothing, and then by the evening at least having something that moves and is interactable and you can you know do stuff with. Like that's the sort of I feel like it has, at least for our level of games, like indie games, it has a quick turnaround of like in the morning you can have an idea, by the evening you can have, you know, it's sort of functional. Now, if it works without bugs and all as intended is another question, but like, you know, that sort of quick turnaround time for me is super rewarding. And I think that just kind of feeds it all the time. So as soon as I want to try something, I can like, basically take a day to do it and by the end of the day you'll have something more or less what you envisage in the morning the power of tabula rasa the blank slate uh is uh some people find it terrifying and and indeed to the point where they will you know rather not have anything to do with such a thing the blank sheet of paper the blank canvas all those similes but others yeah it, yeah, it, it is it intimidating is, it is hard it? Yeah. It, it, I think it depends on your mood, to be mm. honest. Mm. So, like, if you're in the mood for, like, creative mood, then, yeah, you can do all of that. But other things, I don't know, maybe sometimes you're just in a learning mood and you just watch a bunch of videos or read a bunch of documentation. You know, like, there's all sorts of stuff that you can do, I guess. The human brain, it's fascinating, isn't it? But we're not here to <laughs> do armchair psychology. It's not fun. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, behavioral patterns of humans and how they learn and do things is a fascinating topic, but not for this podcast. Uh, but well, I just, just, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say just quickly, if I compare it to the job that I was doing at the time, mm -hmm. just marketing, yeah. then it was for a 
It was for like a medium-sized company, so like already a few hundred employees or several hundred employees even. And um, it just felt so slow to get anything done at work. So it was just constantly like if you if you wanted to do something, there wasn't such a quick turnaround, like a day turnaround. It was you had to get it approved by this person, task sent to this other person, and then their team has to approve the task. And then when you get it back, you have to give what they've done to somebody else. And it's, you know, a lot of bureaucracy. So I feel like going from a situation like that to a situation where you have such a quick turnaround was really kind of the the motivation I needed or what I needed to see to keep going. That's fascinating. The effort spent detracts from doing the thing in the first place because of the uh, the barriers that, that make, you know, those barriers probably are legitimate in some cases, sometimes not, but in many cases those checks and balances exist for a reason. Um, yeah. But, uh, and sometimes not, like I said. Sometimes not. Some I fully admit that. That's the what is determining which ones are, which ones aren't is the tricky part. Um, but uh, no, it's really. I mean, so you had no program experience at all. You just sort of dived into some like stuff like game. I don't know. What did you use? Game Maker, or did you use? Did you dive straight into Unity? I don't know. What did you do? I actually jumped straight into Unity, but it was tough. It was very tough, and. Um, mm-hmm. I switched to something called Game Boy Studio at one right. point, and that really helped. That okay. somehow was like a light switch moment where, or light bulb moment where, you know, because I, I, it was visual, I finally understood like at least the logic behind coding and stuff like that. Whereas yeah. before it was just so random and so much trial and error, it was it was frustrating. Yeah, it's difficult to understand a lexicon of programming. Is that the right word? Probably isn't, but the the structure and the, the thinking of it and why it's so harsh and so unforgiving because it has to be because it can't. It, there's no nuance. There can't be any nuance. That's the point, and that's difficult for people and human our primate minds to get around. There's, mm-hmm. there's no nuance in programming, <laughs> and it's an old phrase I used to use in this show quite a lot. But computers are just a series of switches. It's mind-boggling <laughs> to think that they literally are. They just are. Still are. Still. Still. Still are. It's, it's so it's, mind-boggling. It's just layer upon layer upon thousands and trillions of layers of switches. That's yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, but uh, this is why I find fascinating the older computers, because they're so easy, much easier to get your head around, because all those layers, much, they're, they're not there. It's so raw, and it's like, yep, that's this is all it is. Whereas now, but, it's but nowadays you don't have to worry about those layers at all. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah. it's completely different. But it's a very important point to make. So anyone out there thinking of making games, look, there's Jordan went into marketing and now made an awesome, very very deep and complex. It is complex uh, arcade adventure game, which is no mean feat. So I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Next question, and uh, this uh, this is one I love to ask because you are a creator of things. And as a creator of things, you must be influenced by something. So what do you believe are your biggest influences? As a creator? Um, I think TV mainly. Right. I just love movies and going to the cinema and... I can't watch a TV show without dissecting it or like, you know, 
watch a movie without dissecting it. Like, I, I, I enjoy it, but my, my wife doesn't enjoy it, unfortunately. When I sit there dissecting the movie bit by bit and she's just like watch the movie please <laughs> can't you just drink this in for what it is no <laughs> no i can't and uh, so it, it so you're you're what is it what is it that you find that drive that that you find so fascinating is it the decomposition of the yeah it's story it's the the plot comp- the characters comp- Yep, yep, yep. All, all of that. So it's like composition, right. plot, how that plot unfolds, like at what points, what key moments are given to the to the viewer and um, all this sort of stuff, like even artistic direction, uh, just even the themes that some of these movies kind of take on. Like, for example, I just really love The Lobster. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, no. It's it's a movie about about love, but it's um, very very strange. Like that's like I like all sorts of stuff, you know, like strange movies and also like even your Marvel movies and stuff like this. Like I I just really love going to the cinema, to be honest. Nice. Okay. You know, it's uh, it is a fascinating topic. That's an understatement. It's thesis behind it. For God's sake, people have written or do, do undergraduate studies on this very topic. Yeah. Uh, the the medium and the art of uh, of film and, and cinema, and there's also literature and theatre that the the adjunct and the older forms of medium that people don't really quite understand even to this day, and yes, the the to um, deconstruct those to break them down down into salient parts doesn't undermine them, doesn't it's not you, I test that's not diluting them. That's actually bringing those components more to bear, and mm-hmm. letting them contrast each other. And you might find that there are weaknesses in it. It doesn't undermine the overall scope, unless it does start to fall apart, which you often see. I don't see any problem with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree, completely agree. But uh, and obviously, other influences are like video games and stuff like that. Course. But but now that I'm making games, I don't find much time to play games and then every time i do play a game i'm like i want to run to my computer and try and (laughs) replicate this mechanic or do something you know like it's very hard to kind of detach yourself from that back end part of the game Mm, yeah writer reading the uh the the novel it's it's a difficult one sometimes (laughs) so next question what video game developer do you admire most and why? Well, I'm only going to say this because I've made a Metroidvania now. Um, right. <laughs> is Hollow Knight. Like the, the guys oh. from Hollow Knight, Team Cherry, yeah. I have, I yeah. still just, I have no idea how they did it. I don't like, think they do either. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I have no idea how they did it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, if, like I was already fascinated by them before, but now that I finished, it's just mind blowing. And and yeah. it, it, it the same goes for like all sort of big games that are made by small teams, or, or even big games that are made by big teams. Like I don't know if you play like Red Dead Redemption Two, like the amount of detail and God knows what else they've put in there, like systems and stuff. It's just made me appreciate all game developers as a whole. I think it's wonderful that we're living in a time when we can see the full spectrum of games. 
everything from, like you say, well, like yourself, making a haiku to robot as a single person, um, to right through to the thousands, thousands of armies of people making, I don't know, uh, Elden Ring, for example. Yeah. Yeah, it's just and having that, just the same hardware <laughs> producing the same, you know, not same game, of course not, but the fact that you can have that vast different experiences, just you know, what a time to be. Yeah, alive. I mean, Elden Ring's a great game. Yeah, <laughs> it's like an amazing yeah. game. Yeah, it's a game that asks so much and doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> And it 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 basically laughs. Not laughs. That's not true. But it revels in the fact that it doesn't tell you anything. Like, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. I don't know. Prod this. See what happens. Oh look, yeah. you're dead. There you go. Oh look, look at that big thing over. I'm in the middle of a castle thing at the moment with it. I'm I'm chomping. I'm just nibbling away at it. It's great. <laughs> well, I ran through this courtyard and I saw this big thing. I'm going to run now. This is probably it was a good move. Turned out to be a good move. So. Last question then, uh, of the first half. All right, we're blasting for these pretty quick. We do. The first half depends on how we, you know, we could revel. You could ask me answer more, sort of, more give me one, one developer. I think, but I think your response was a heartfelt one. Of course, it was, and I think it sort of underlines your point. I mean, you could have gone from like you got lots of from software or something, usual suspects, but I think you know uh, it's a good shout. Hollow Knight is an extraordinary game. Yeah, it's it's what I feel closest to, at least, you know. So, so, but this one, this last question of the first half, is really to ensure you're not living in a bubble. You're recognised at work of others and enjoy it as much as you can. So, um, what are you playing right now? Um, I don't know. Wait, let me think. <laughs> so. Yeah. A few things. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, but they're really like yeah, I don't know. They don't sound fancy at all. Let's just doesn't say matter. That. It can you know, um <laughs> so me and my wife, we really like to play Civ five. Like we just five. Civ five, not Civ Six. We tried Civ Six for you were like we're too used to Civ Five. <laughs> Let's just keep playing Civ Five. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So um we play that occasionally, like we just do a campaign where we're in, in like local network or something, co-op sort of style, uh, where we immediately declare our friendship and stuff. Because, yeah, I made that mistake once. I, I accidentally nuked her once and she wasn't happy. So, uh, Oh, yeah. You reserve that for, well, anyway. Because <laughs> I've been playing Civ since Civ, Civ 1. Wow. I'm kidding. So, and there's things that happen in Civ 1 that still happen in Civ 6. It still makes me chuckle, like, come on. <laughs> it's been 30 years. <laughs> Can't you just not do that? But anyway, it's just I've always, I have this thing. I start off being magnanimous, going, okay, don't annoy anyone. They don't annoy me. I won't annoy them. And then they just do one little transgression, just, you know, unprovoked they're just like you know launch some volley of attack and there's like and it's just vengeance and for thousands of years there's this yeah, horrific I mean, war that erupts I, I don't i don't get it they're just like 
Like Greece has declared war on you. You're like, what? Like, what? <laughs> I gave you loads of tech and they're using that tech to shoot at me. Like, yeah. You're the worst. And then there's this disgrudge match that lasts for generations. Generations. And then yeah. what do you do? The only way to justify it? They started it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like so, it when they when they start sending their profits and stuff. No, I, I have like, I just have this obsession with it's okay if I spread religion, but it but it's yeah. not okay if somebody else that, spreads no, no. their religion. Okay. That's fantastic. Sim five. Nice. I'm yeah, it's very it's long. Not, it's not exactly glamorous, I know, but doesn't uh, matter. Doesn't matter. We just we just like playing it. And what's the other thing that's distracting you from from things? I don't know. I you said to you there's another there's a couple of things. Yeah, like um me my brother sometimes reaches out to play like Apex and I like that because right. um like Apex Legends just because it's such an easy game to just like hop in and then right. as soon as you die you can just hop out. It's like, you know, you play two free rounds and you're like, yeah, that's that's good. It was like 30 minutes to an hour and then mm. you you can like hop out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've I've been doing that with four guys. Uh, yeah. just play that for ten minutes. It's fine. But I then mean, there are other games that are like bigger titles that I pick up and then you know play for a bit or play till I finish and then forget about them. Yeah, but these are the yeah. ones that I kind of keep coming back to. Coming so back like to. you know, like Metro Dread came out. I picked that up. Um, mm-hmm. I picked up Elden Ring when it came out, but I had to drop it because I had the game to finish. Yeah. But I keep meaning to pick it back up again. Yeah, but, do it. Um, you should. I think it's yeah. a, it's important. It sounds really pat, you know, not patronising, but um, how can I put it? Sort of really, sort of looking at it, put it on a pedestal that it ought not be. But I genuinely believe it's a very important game. I mean, what I played was great. So, mm. and I got past, I think, the first story boss. Is it? Yes, Market or something like that. Market, yeah, yeah. That's that's quite. He's quite. Well, by the time I got to him, I think I was a bit OP because I I did the whole of the area. I just did the normal thing I do with these kinds of like open world games. I just explore every little thing and go to every yeah. little cavern and just have a you know just do all sorts of things. I go, okay, fine, fine. Okay, okay, fine. I'll go and do your main story then. Fine. I, I actually ran out of things to do. But fine. So by the time I got to them, it was just like, oh, <laughs> just, you know, because I'm, I'm sort of boarding it, which is I know people say, don't do that, Chris. You should do spellcasting. No, just go hit things with swords. It is harder, but it does. It's, I just find it rewarding when they swing around. And the thing about market is you you leap into their attacks, not away from them. It's fascinating. You just actually when they're swinging, you don't. You don't dodge them. You leap into them, and as as that happens, they swing over you. That they over they overreach, and then you, you do two or three hits, and then you duck off. Fascinating, amazing fight. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing it, it, fight. Actually, yeah, it rings a bell. Yeah, you don't dodge the fuck attacks. You leap into them. Amazing, like what? Yeah, it's totally what you do. <laughs> it's like wow, this totally works. Because I was struggling with them a little bit. I, Took a couple of hits and I went on the online because I'm not proud or anything. Went, oh, you run into his attacks. Huh, that's weird. And it worked. So, anyway, fascinating game. <laughs> yeah, I have to pick it back up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, 
That's the end of the first half. Way. Hey, you made it. Well done. Made it. So let's uh, go into the second half of the show, where we shall be delving deep to Haiku, the robot. I do love the comma. It's a very important comma in the title. Yeah, I put it in and then uh, I checked to a co-worker of mine because she was a copywriter. And yeah. I was like, is this, is this correct? And she was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, but it's weird, but yeah, yeah it's correct. <laughs> if you want to pause, because um, otherwise it's Haiku the robot. Like, yeah, doesn't flow. doesn't flow. You need that pause. You gotta, It's either that or a semicolon. And that does that work? No. Because it's not a list afterwards, or a semi-list. Exactly. Not so you can't do semicolon, as much as I love to use them, because they're great. <laughs> Me too. Everybody's like, why, why are you using semicolon? I remember yeah. I explained it to a co-worker once, and they were like, yeah. oh, that's what it is? I'm that's like, what it is? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just basically because you're going to yeah. list things after. You're going to list things, aren't you? So, yeah, if, if you want to avoid a run-on sentence, yay. <laughs> so... Before we delve into Haiku the Robot, we need to know what it is. It's only fair. 
So we have a tradition on this show. We call it the zeroth question, which is not really a question. It's more of a request. Okay. It is this. Please tell us in your own words, Jordan. What is Haiku, the robot? Um, so as I mentioned previously, Haiku, the robot is a 2D Metroidvania. Um, so you have all of your typical Metroid stuff. I mean, I assume you're, the audience knows what Metroidvania is. So it's set in a post-apocalyptic world where humans no longer exist and machines have kind of taken over. So I think like Matrix-y sort of vibe. Um, yeah, so a big computer virus has taken over the land and it's kind of your job to figure out what it is, who it is, and how to defeat it sort of thing. We're going to get on to that later, but I just want to really underline there's one word that I felt that really captured my experience with Haiku the Robot is I felt that I inhabited it. Okay. Within about half an hour, I found myself in its world. Mm -hmm. And that's really... And it was a little bit oppressive, which you probably wanted to encourage that because it is pretty much underground for the most part. We won't go into later things. But anyway, let's we don't do spoilers on this show. That's cane and rinse. We don't do that here. We talk abstracts for the best part. Okay. For the most part, I should say. But let's just say it's generally underground and it's it's a, a dangerous place. Uh, and and the resources are scarce. And to get a resource, you need to earn that. You need to be really observant. And I found that that's the best word I've found. When I look at Kanjo, when I think about the game, is when Haiku the Robot, that is, is inhabiting it. Well, that's uh, praise to my ears. Mm. I'm really, really grateful that you think. I feel like I'm in Feel that way. Have to inhabit it in order to get most out of it, which leads me on to my first question, which is why I'm talking about this concept. Is um, how have you found designing the environment within Haiku the Robot in terms of advising the player what is hazardous, what is problematic, where they can, and where more, more importantly they can't go. How have you found making sure that the player is suitably informed about where they can and can't go? Um, it's quite quite a simple design choice. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, anything that's static is usually not harmless, but anything that moves is harmless. And this applies also to ground hazards and all this sort of stuff. So, like, instead of just, like, the floor is lava, then... Um, you would have massive buzz saws which have like a fierce fierce sound to them so yeah. you just innately know that that's dangerous versus I, just a normal calm static ground that you're like oh okay yeah that, that looks fine i could should be able to walk on that yeah it's i did like the saws i thought hey look super me boy love the tribute <laughs> you know it's uh you when you see saws, like, oh, yeah, this is bad. Um, you, you can encounter little traps sometimes that are initially static and then start to move. You just yeah, to those observed. are kind of – they're just sprinkled in just to make sure you don't get too comfortable with yeah. uh, what your expectations are. But they're not like 
super unjust that you're that that they're just going to be an annoyance it's like one little extra thing that you have to learn because i feel like when you're playing a game and it's very typical and metroidvanias actually do this very well i think is they give you little bits to learn like drop by drop so like Mm. your your abilities you unlock in a like not a certain order but you unlock them with space between them so you can understand get used to them and then you get a new piece of information which is a new ability so like i think metroidvanias do this sort of concept very well of bit by bit they teach you how to play the game and and you feel like you're progressing throughout the entire game and i think that's why people love metroidvanias so much to be honest yeah there's a real sense of progression and getting stronger agreed i think but you only do that by perseverance um and which i think the idea of you having a static thing it's probably fine not going to explode in your face probably whereas versus something not known is moving but is also making a sound because that's really important so i think the whole sound design is really wonderful because it does it's directional so you know where the hazard is potentially Mm -hmm. And also the fact that what's causing that hazard and what it looks like. So, yeah, very, very good stuff. My next question um, is concerns exploration, which is the cornerstone of Metroidvanias. This is about you going to places and then trying to get to somewhere. You can't get there yet. There's clearly something you need to be able to do to get there, but you know you should be able to get there, but you can't. So you go, <laughs> yeah. to, you go to somewhere else get the ability to do the thing and then go, oh, now I can do the thing. Yeah, now no, 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 I can do the thing. I got this thing to do the thing. I got to do the thing. I can do the thing now. I think the earliest one was wall climbing or wall jumping. Um, yeah. That's that's yeah. the one that's really sort of like, ah, I can, I can do all this now. Uh, yeah. To the point where there's one bit where you actually need to wall climb in order to progress. Um. So yeah, I, I think the abilities are definitely um, very like there's there's lots of elements to making a good Metroidvania, right? Like we we discussed about the progression side of it, like gaining abilities like bit by bit and exploring the world, but also the exploration part and what those abilities do, because like you really want players to kind of go out into the world see all these sort of dead ends or or places that they can't quite reach or even places that they don't even know are there, but you can kind of intuition by intuition, see that there might be something there. Then you get an ability and then your brain just goes rushing back to all of these things that you've just seen. And you're like, Oh, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could yes. do that. Maybe. Yes. And I think that part, and, and I think it's important that you make good abilities that, um, really quite like make you question everything else in the game that you've just seen because the very typical one is the ledge that's too hard to get to like yep. a jump, which you need a double yep. jump like that's very typical but mm-hmm. other things like the wall jump where you have like a really tall long wall you'd be i think that's like in your brain you're just like what what what's what happens if i just climb that you know like what's at the top so you go try to do it i mean this is kind of spoilery i guess yeah it's kind of early though i mean it is after a couple of boss fights though but anyway 
Copy. There's another ability yeah. that definitely makes you think, I can break so much stuff with this ability <laughs> later on. Yeah. Um, let's just leave it at that. But, but I think those moments are, are important as well. Indeed. So what I was getting at is really the second question is really about exploration. And mm. it is expected on the player in Haiku the robot uh, is two things, a sense of wonder and exploration and curiosity more or less, as well as a heightened sense of observation. Mm-hmm. How do you consciously or indeed subconsciously encourage this kind of behaviour in the player to get them to drive on to make sure that they're suitably informed and they're encouraged without being you know, led by the nose. How have yeah. you found designing the, the experience of Haiku the robot in that regard? So I think it's important to start with small loops of these ideas. So like the this core idea of exploring, the it, the the first loop you take is is probably be the most play tested thing in the entire game. Like it was, yeah, it's. it's People have probably played it at five different points in the entire development. So like five different audiences have played it and gone through that whole loop to make sure that you, within that first area, you are understanding the core. I don't even know what to call it because they're not even mechanics. They're just like, they're just like core principles of what the game wants you to do. Right. Right. So at the very beginning, it's, even though it looks like you can go left or right, you can't actually go right because you will see that you just can't jump up there. So um, you'll go left and then it's a very planned out route where you do a loop and then you come back basically to where you should be. Yeah. So this is sort of like, and, and it's literally, I put a key and a lock. So it's kind of like cementing the idea of like, you have to get this key to order in order to open this lock. And then mm-hmm. later it's just replaced with you have to get this ability in order to get past this obstacle. So yeah. it's that's basically the way I planned it. And I and I and that kind of philosophy carries out through the rest of the game. Um I try not to overwhelm you too much at the beginning because I personally don't like it when I start a game and I'm just bombarded with all the stuff I can do. I'm just like I understand you want to show me that there's a lot of stuff that you can do in this game, but I'm just, I, it's just not registering at the moment. I'm still getting used to just attacking and like enemies, you know, let alone yeah. all these upgrades and abilities that you're dumping on me. I'm just like, yeah. So I, I tried to stay away from that. And um, you don't actually get to the other upgrades, like the more technical upgrades with the chip system until you completely leave the first area so it was like a conscious choice to be like do i give them this stuff at the beginning you know or overwhelm them or do i save it for a little bit later and just trust that the like that players will get there eventually to find it Mm. you know like because because i think a common flaw is for us developers is that we try to the reason why we give you so much at the beginning is to show you that this that that we have all this stuff in the game. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. it's like, hey, this this is going to be a good game. Look at yeah. all this stuff we have. Like, you know, we, we're kind of afraid that they're going to stop playing before they get to the 
to to this extra stuff. It always amuses me when you see like, oh, you go to options and say controls, and you click on controls, and you see what I call the spider web. And in the middle, there's the controller, and then there's this, this spider web of arrows pointing at it to each 14 inputs and go, you can do all these things. And you go, it's just not helping. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. <laughs> it is. It is. So I do try to study those because sometimes you just go, I'm not, I'm like, can I do additional things I, the game hasn't told me yet? That's the only time I go to that. And that could be a failure of the game hasn't told me that, oh, I can do a, you know, a side dash or I could, or maybe I've forgotten the controller. Oh, because that's what I normally do. I just, I can't, you can't digest those diagrams, really. No one can. No. I'd be surprised if anyone can. I don't think they're designed to be digested in their whole. It's just like, what button do I need to? Oh, it's that button I need to. That's why I use them as a reference. Not yeah, as same, an, you know, same. But to answer your question, it's just like that first loop is mm -hmm. very like tight, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Very, very tight. So it teaches you step by step without explicitly telling you that's, that's the thing. It's like the world is built in a way that, you know, you're kind of funneled through this, through this flow and without you even realizing it, you've just played the tutorial. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely did. Including the boss fight, by the way. So, hey, you know, it's good. But um, I want to relate to that note uh, on what we just described, but this is more about content or more about the softer aspect. Some people mm -hmm. regard it, but the story, because there is one. I mean, mm -hmm. you wake up in a vat thing with and there's this strange icker that emits from you and flies off, which you encounter throughout the game. I won't go anything more about that because it is the cause of the malady that has afflicted the, uh, or is it? I don't know. But I don't know. It's something. It's certainly something. And it did occupy Haiku, and then it's not for reasons that are revealed later on. Yeah. Um, but the story is really, really drip-fed. And what really struck me, though, is how you present key pieces of information early on that are out of context. Yeah. For example, you'll find the vault. The what? Master vault. Okay. And yeah. then what's that about? Oh, good question. What is it about? <laughs> it seems very important. And there's a big open air and there's one of the locks is left. It's broken. Yeah. This is very early in the game, by the way. I'm not revealing anything. What's yeah, that? I think, I think it, it's, it also, it's, it's also this kind of mentality of, Mm. like how we were saying how you explore and then when you get a new ability and you remember where to go back that in itself is a reward right because you've done the effort to remember where you need to go back to so i think the same sort of happens with story as well if you can put these pieces together yourself without the game explicitly just telling you this is this, you know, like this, this is the thing that, that I focus on a lot in TV shows and movies. And I hate it is when they just straight up tell you what it is, when it's very clear that you can just see it on screen. <laughs> like that's one of my biggest pet peeves. So, you know, in, in the game, it's, it's very much like that. It's like the story is very much, if you remember the bits and pieces and you can put them together yourself and you can like, um, you know, like thread the needle through the different hoops and stuff, then you will 
be like you feel like you're rewarded because you've put that effort in to remember, like you said, the main vault. You're like you're not fully quite sure what this is when you first find yeah. it, and then after it's like you know a key yeah. element. Let's just say. it is, it is. Uh, it clearly is because it's it's a big like almost cathedral like space mm-hmm. you walk into, and it's a big sort of semicircular thing. And it's just like sitting there, going, yeah, yeah on the vault. That's not open. Surely I need to be, right? Or maybe not. Or maybe I need to be locked and kept like that. You don't know. Very, very Metroid style. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, last question then. I know all good things come to an end. Here we are. And this is more of a moving away from content now, but more of a interactive or interface. Of question you have uh, a health bar of sorts which is divided up into four quadrants initially mm-hmm. let's not go there but at least initially and there is an optional i stress everyone optional healing mechanic in that you can find a spanner or wrench if you're from the north america yeah. <laughs> and use it on yourself to uh, use the currency, which is spare parts that are littered across the world, which is a vital currency. Without it, the robots and everything, machines, just, just basically uh, pieces. It's their economy. It's their economy. And yet here you are using that economy to heal yourself. Now, I say it's optional, everyone, because I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler here, but there is a achievement in Hakuna Robot where you can not choose not to use this ability and just go through it without it is possible because you do heal up at the uh, save stations so it can be done however I just want to ask how on earth did this come about where did this come from why are you using the very currency that you use to buy various upgrades and what have you to repair yourself what's that about um so it it actually came from. Uh, this is why playtesting is so important. Um, I did like multiple demos, and this came from a streamer playing the demo on their stream. And one thing that I already picked up on from that demo was that people were killing themselves to go back to the health station because healing wasn't in the game at that point, point. Uh, and that was frustrating because the Metroidvania is all about exploration. And if you're killing yourself just to go back to the save point, then it kind of defeats the purpose of exploring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was watching a stream, and some somebody in the chat simply said, "Why can't you hear yourself with it? Why can't you fix yourself with the spare parts?" And that's it. Yeah, that's where it started. And yep. I just looked at that, and I was like, "That's a good idea." Yeah. On paper, at least. Uh, yeah. Let's see how it works in the game. I added it to the game. It obviously had some like tweakings to, to see how the mechanic would work and stuff like that. And I think it turned out to be a very satisfactory mechanic. And on top of it, it's it adds another layer to the currency because I feel like good game design game design decisions always come from like things that have multiple use multiple purpose and you know you can use them in two different ways so currency not only just to buy stuff from shops and 
and all these sort of things, but also now to heal yourself. It was, it was, it was great, but I, I honestly owe it all to just watching, um, yeah, watching, watching a stream of the game, which I was doing for research purposes anyway, to see where I can improve the game. But the fact that somebody suggested why can't he heal himself with the spare parts is basically where it started. See, it's not just dad jokes in, in chat sometimes, <laughs> or indeed other strange like quips. It's actually sometimes really solid feedback on video game design. Yeah, okay. it was it was just one of those things, man. Yeah. I, I was when when I saw it, I was like, "How have I not thought of that?" You yeah. know, like, <laughs> it was one of those things that you just see and you're like, yeah. "Oh my god, that is genius!" And you you do stay still when you do it, everyone. You can't do it on the fly. You can't run around and put pull the the spanner out and start fixing yourself. It makes no sense. You have to be stock still, which is very difficult. And he's stuck still, and then you're just sort of like just repairing yourself. And it costs not a small amount of spare parts. And you also yeah. need spare parts to repair yourself. Can't, that's the other thing. It was like fascinating. Like the amount of times I've found, like, oh, I've got this really tricky part coming up, and I've only got two pips left. I'm not going to survive. I know. I'm going to go farm some stuff. And I will do that. I'll go rushing off and farm and kill a bunch of things to yeah, get some that's... spare parts. And that's completely legit, isn't it? Yeah, because the balancing of the price was very much like, okay, how many enemies would you need to kill just to heal yourself two or three, two like two two more uh, blips, right? Yeah. yeah, and it was like between two to four enemies yeah, you have to two kill, to and then that's depends it. what the enemies and, are, but yeah, yeah, and the enemies aren't too dangerous for the most part; they just take a bit of getting used to. Yeah, it depends um, on what ones you're taking on. I think the ones, the fairly early on again, there's ones of like floating light bulbs orange light bulbs i call them and they explode into smaller light bulbs <laughs> yeah and, and they can be a bit and, tricky um, but but the main idea for the healer mechanic was just to help you with exploration because that's the main part for me um of this game is the exploration part is um it opens up bit by bit like like we mentioned at the beginning, it's very like a very much funneled sort of experience until you get on board, and then but it's basically just putting trust into the player that the the more they play the game, the better they get at the game, and the more they can do things by themselves. They can go wherever they want, do, you know, do whatever they want, sort of thing, in whatever order that they choose to. So it's it's very like step by step, it just opens up and branches out. Um, but yeah, when it comes to wait, what were we talking about again? Healing and the, the Healing, mechanics yes. of it. Yes, yes. Right. So when it comes to exploring and yeah. people were killing themselves and going back to the thing, I really yeah. didn't like it. Um, so this healer mechanic really just helps you to continue to explore. Yes. So if you make a mistake, you can just spend a bit of money, yeah. um, repair yourself, and could carry on. Carry on. Just got to make sure that when you do it, you're in a safe spot. Yeah. You won't get attacked at the time. And trust me, that can be more difficult than you realize. Like, just yeah, like here. in boss fights, it's, yeah, it's purposely, it's yeah. purposely tiny bit too long. Yeah. Just, just yeah. to make it annoying on boss fights. So, yeah, yeah. so it just yeah. makes them a bit more challenging. It does. It does. So, Haikudu Robot, developed by Mr. Morris. I have to ask, where does that name 
from? Is it just name of is this you? Is it? It's <laughs> just my surname. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, I didn't put too much thought into the studio name, unfortunately. No, that's fine. It's fine. We've but, had uh, some. Uh, it's perfectly legitimate. So yeah, you know, it's developed by Mr. Morris. And tell us, Jordan, what platforms is Haiku the robot available on? So it's on Steam already. It's been out on Steam for four months almost yeah yeah yeah. it's a while and um it recently launched on switch about two weeks ago so did it's pretty good and and i ported those my ported it myself to the switch which is uh fun yeah that must be quite a challenge actually quite an old platform now isn't it it's getting older yeah it's um it runs a little bit like a mobile phone, so um, yeah, some yeah. optimizations, yeah, were needed, unfortunately. Just the way of nature of the thing, but uh, still an excellent port and an excellent game. Jordan, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It's been uh, great to be here. I like uh, chit chatting, yeah, with, with people of the industry. So thank you for having me on. No, it's been uh, been really uh, educational and really fascinating to hear about all the nuances you have to get through to to make Haiku the robot a thing. And you certainly have. You're more than welcome to come back to chat about whatever next you're you're cooking up, whatever it may be. We have had a lot of return guests over the years. Yeah, that sounds good. I have to take you up on that offer. In the meantime, thank you very, very much. No, thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com.